The Song and a Friend Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 3. Our headliner tonight is the song Chimpanzees by MCO2 slash and or Monkey Thursday Orchestra. I'll explain later. An opening act is an interview with the songwriter Sean Stonecipher. I was in the Newark, New Jersey airport last week, and in one of those shops that sells plastic-wrapped turkey sandwiches and uh, granola bars and magazines and paperbacks was a new collection of essays by one of my favorite authors, Chuck Klosterman. And on the front of the book, the book is called The 90s, is a picture of what I'm holding in my hand. I'm trying to make some noise. This is a see-through plastic telephone. You can see all the circuitry and all of the switches and the bell. Back in the 90s, this thing was so, so super cool. I wish I would have had one as a teenager. That would have meant I was a really cool teenager back in the 90s. But no, sadly, I, I bought this as a decorative piece at a garage sale much, much later, decades after the fact. But our story tonight begins in the 90s, and it begins in Christian coffee houses. As a parent of Gen Zennials or Gen Zs, I am often trying to explain to my kids what it was like to live in the days before uh, smartphones, before high-speed internet, before social media. And one of the strange things that they have never experienced was the boom of Christian coffee houses, church-run coffee house concert venues that were everywhere throughout the Midwest in, um, in the late 90s, and they sort of fizzled out by the early 2000s, and it was a way for congregations to try to connect with people outside of their regular Sunday congregations and uh, get them into the building and, and create relationships. One of the things that these venues did was, of course, put on all-ages shows, uh, touring musicians, independent and alternative artists, gave them a place to gave them a place to play their music, hawk their wares, make new fans. And it was into this environment that I cut my teeth as an early performer and my first band and first bands made their debuts. And whenever I think of those coffeehouse years, I'm sometimes reminded of a lesser-known single by R.E.M. that came out in the year 2001, just right at the 11th hour of this movement, as it were, a song called All the Way to Reno. We were trying to make it big, we were trying to be stars, but like the character in the R.E.M. song, we were going about it the wrong way. You don't go to Reno <laughs> to become big. Uh, you don't go to this tiny little place uh, in the middle of nowhere to make it big, but there were nights when we would really get into the music where I felt like I was commanding an entire stadium of fans, but it might be, you know, 22 people in the back room with a makeshift PA. And what's really ironic is that now I, as a middle-aged man, I love coffee. I love black coffee, French press coffee, espresso. But back in the days when I was playing all these coffee shops, I'd never touched a drop of coffee. I thought it was gross. I didn't like it. So I would buy fruit juice or Sprite or sometimes chai tea if I was feeling really adventurous. 
Anyway, enjoy this conversation I have with Sean about our song Chimpanzees. This is a song that Sean and I wrote together in our dorm room at Indiana Wesleyan. One day I came back from class. He was noodling on the piano, as he would often do, and he would say, what do you think of this? And if it grabbed me, I would grab a pen and a paper and start scribbling down poetry, or I'd start humming whatever sort of notes I could grab out of the ether. This happened for a lot of songs that Umko 2 would later mount into our live shows. But I remember one day coming in, and he had this song, this chord progression, sort of wholesale. It was a real attempt for me to be a free-form lyricist, to be really cryptically poetic, and I was trying really, really hard to imitate some of my 90s alternative rock idols who were great at improvising on the mic and being very poetic. And that really resonated with, with Sean as well. But Sean and I last visited each other in 2008. 2008. That was 15 years ago. Think about this with me. The last time I saw Sean was 2008, and we've only had a few scraps of one, two, three sentence emails since then. That's 15 years. Maybe you have a friend from your formative years, from your high school, college years, that you haven't seen for 10, 12, 15, 20 years. What would it be like to have a conversation with them after that period of time that encompasses something that you put blood, sweat, and tears into? And that's the conversation that I want to invite you into now. Hello, everybody. It's your old pal Tom Tom here, and I am joined today by a good friend of mine of uh, of many years. This is Sean Stone Cipher. Hey, he Father was... Tom. Last hello, time hello. I talked to you, you were regular Tom. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I picked up a a moniker, an honorific uh, in that in that time. Yes, Plus one for you. Yeah. Well, you know, the last time we saw each other was uh, was at Rock River Bible Camp, and we were in the chapel there, and I was hired to do music for the camp that week, and you came up to visit, and you brought your piano and um, in the chapel at Rock River, and you said something to me that I've never forgotten, which was, I said, well, let's just jam, and I started playing something, and then you stopped, and you said, it's really hard to jam with your songs, because I never know where they're going. <laughs> And uh, I took that to heart, and I, I I tried to include simplicity in my songwriting for the next several years after that. Like, could could somebody follow me? Um, you know, it's it's funny you would say that. We um, I was playing last weekend at church, and we were playing the old hymns. Right, right. Uh, I, I'm at one of those churches that will um will put on they'll put on the rock show, and everything sounds it's wonderful band, and they sound like it sound like Bob Dylan and his band playing all the greatest sure. hits from church right or whatever uh and and when they play the when they play the old songs the hymns um you know you think oh this is great this is a great song it's deep i know this song and then um <laughs> i had a, a a bassist that we were playing with that who was you know credited on albums okay. from, that i listened to when i was a kid and and his comment was 
that you, you think these songs are great and and I know these songs and then you go to play them and you haven't practiced in advance and you're like ooh these old songs the chord changes come at you real fast they do because... and, and I think that there's to some degree that's uh it's similar to to what happened with uh with, with uh, the Tom Adamson specials of 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 old well, but you came through to see me and my family a couple of weeks ago, and you had this great idea for for an episode, which was, hey, we haven't really talked in 15 years. Let's record our conversation. And I pitched to you that we could talk about a song that we used to play together and worked on together that we hadn't talked about in 15 plus years. Um, so you, dear listener, kind of get to hear us talk about the song called Chimpanzees or Old Chimpanzees, depending on which CDR you're looking at we both listened to it um uh, in the last 24 hours and uh, i'm curious to know what you thought of sean but um i'll state the three things that i thought of when when i heard it on a practical level um it was a really interesting experiment in synergy of two different approaches um coming up with something even better and you had a lot of training as a musician Growing up, you had a lot of piano lessons. You were in three different types of bands in school. Um, you know, I remember you coming in to the scene just with tons of chops and ready to go. And that was different than my experience, which was I was very, I was self-taught on guitar. I never had any private music lessons growing up. I never had anybody say, do this, don't do that. Uh, this is what I recommend. And so it's this, um, on a practical level, when I hear the song, I hear your discipline and love of form um, and structure meeting kind of my anything goes style of, of creativity, the two being very, very beautiful. You gave me a space in which to bloom and grow. And that's one thing I heard. And the other thing was, is that I, it really affected me. Um, and the band folded, but it made me think about the power of music and how it it's not dependent on either its fame or its failure to have some intrinsic beauty and power. And that's something to reflect on. And then, um, then I thought about the, where it came from the lyrics and in our time of life. Um, it's kind of cool. We're recording this in August, it probably will not drop in August, but the song mentions a sunny afternoon in August and, and the breeze blowing through the trees. And um, I wanted to stay in that moment that this, uh, of which the song grew out of, which was, I am laying under this tree with the person I love. I want to stay here. I want to notice the things around me. And it made me think about how I still love those moments when I just want everything to slow down and stop. And I think the world would be a better place if everybody did that kind of thing a little more often every once in a while. So it still has some relevance. Those are three things that I thought of. Um, I turn it over to... This may lead to some editing, but what what was thing one again? Oh, you uh, synergy. Uh, Yeah, we can cut out this question. You know, you have a lot of of technical training and and I'm sort of this uh, poet, savant, anything, make it up as I go. And then we put... I I thought that was great. You know, that was... um, that was a mysterious thing to start trying to write songs with other people. And, and uh, on one hand I was, I was, and, and at, at the time, everything that was happening 
for me musically was happening on the inside. Mm. And so I was, you know, I was going wild trying to explore the, 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 the space of what notes to play when and what leads where. And I had really developed that part of me, but, but also at the same time, like watching me play it, uh, it, it was all happening on the inside. Watching me play, it was like watching a stick. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I just, I didn't understand in that moment as a young musician that, that your, your job isn't to make something great. You're providing the, the service of entertainment for the people who might be watching or listening. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, hadn't, I, I hadn't developed any part of that, uh, of my, of my skill set in that. And, and since then, I've tried to, uh, tried to shore up, you know, the, the weaknesses in my entertainment game, so to speak. Sure. Um, and it's, I saw, to some degree, I saw the same thing, um, you know, when we sat down the other day and you were, um, you were, you were sort of uh, poking at your guitar a little bit. I right. thought, Tom has, Tom has shored up, you know, the inherent, the inherent sort of. Uh, sloppiness if if i could say <laughs> sure um, I mean, it was sloppy <laughs> it was sloppy it was it was sloppy when we were young but it, it had sort of that um you know playing with you was sort of like had that that wild bob dylan thing going where sure where i'm all i'm no inhibitions and all charisma mm-hmm. and you're not here you're not here for my technical chops you're here to be entertained Sure. And so I, I guess in that moment, I confirmed a couple of days ago that you have you've shored up that piece of the puzzle. And I bet if we hung out more, I would see that you're still as un- uninhibited as you were right. 20 years ago. But you have discovered some things as you as you grow and, and play with people over decades. I've, uh, thank you. I think you're right. I, 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 be- I believe you're right. I know that I'm still pretty kooky. But um, I hope so. Through a lot of through a lot of hard knocks and trial and error, I've discovered a little self awareness, a little other awareness, and the ability to kind of take a step back and say, "Okay, this is the part where you just play the lick and you don't screw it up." (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because it's satisfying for someone to hear me play, you know, or whatever it is. Well, that's something else that happens when you play in front of a lot of audiences. Um. You start mm-hmm. to notice what things they respond to, like, oh, they, you know, they, if I do this, that makes them happy. I should do more of that. Sure. Uh, one of the things I, one another thing that I noticed since then is that at, at that moment, at that moment in time when we were writing these songs, I thought what people really wanted was new, interesting material to listen sure. to. And now I know that what people want more than anything is to hear a song that they already know the words to. <laughs> the sound guy is probably not that great. And uh, he can't hear your words to your cool song that you just made up that I've never <laughs> heard before. Since I can't hear the words, what I'd really like is to hear a song where I already know the words because it's going sure. not going to sound great coming through the sound system. And I get to have this experience, the shared experience of uh, with the people around me who also know this song, uh, yeah. singing along with this song. And, and if you play for long enough for the same people, you know this, you can get them to sing along. And they yeah. have that shared experience with you, but that's a that is a what do they call a long road to hoe? I'm not sure it if is I'm a, mixing yeah, metaphors it's, it's, there. It's a long, long obedience in one direction, as Richard Foster would say. And uh yeah, that's so cultivating an audience. And we did it the upside down backwards way. And I think a lot of kids 
I don't know. Maybe I'm going to back that out. Edit. You know, we were among the kids who did it the backwards way, which was we'll we'll build something really really great, and you'll come because it's great. Versus, uh, we'll build an audience and a core of people, and then once they're comfortable, then we can start kind of introducing the variations and original ideas. And um, I've seen it happen both ways. And and part of my, um, like you said, the things I shored up came through crossing the fence, if you will, into the territory of the people who did it the other way. For for a long time, between ages like 18 and 24, I had a chip on my shoulder against, you know, the, the, uh, the evil cover bands. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like now... I'd rather play in a cover band than a band that makes originals because I just want to entertain people. I'm sure. never going to be, I'm never going to be the big time. Right. Like, well, let's just have some fun. Let's sure. give people a good time. Well, that leans into the second point a little bit though, where I'm still kind of 50, 50, I still write original songs and I still introduce original songs, but I do play, I, mean, I would say my set is about 50, 50 covers and originals and, yeah, but I'm playing for a lot of the same people a lot of the same time because I'm playing within a region, you know, within like a three hour driving radius. You know, it's a lot mm-hmm. of the same people out of the same time. And so I don't know how many times somebody wants to hear me play Don't Dream It's Over, you know, or um, what what have you. Well, so statisticians would tell you that you could find out what that number is <laughs> and build your universe around yeah, but but the power of, of of music, like I made in my second point, doesn't depend on uh, fame or failure. And I think that internal journey you were talking about when you were 20, and let me just say that I find that really, really fascinating. And I have greater sympathy for, for undergrad Sean now than I did back then. I wish I had known that that's what was going on inside of you Um back then, instead of me kind of seeing my band members as means to an ends of my own fame and legendariness. <laughs> well, <then laughs> Which what I was think... going on inside of me? You, you, you said your musical uh, journey back then was all interior. Uh, yeah. you, were, you were playing with notes and sounds and trying to figure out how the machinery of it. And Oh, uh, yeah. Why? So to, to, to your second point, uh, pause for oh, that's fine. sake. To, to your second point, uh, I've been living in North Carolina for seven years now in okay. Durham, and I repeatedly see people on the street or in my church who are musicians that I've heard of, sure. credited on albums that I listened to on purpose. It doesn't give me the same thrill it would have when I was 18, but I can sure. empathize with 18-year-old me. And sure. call up that excitement by proxy that that guy would have felt. Yeah, right. And those people are just everywhere here. Mm-hmm. But when you're from a small town in Illinois or Indiana, that doesn't happen. Right, no. Rock stars were like mythical creatures. They weren't right. like real people who have mundane lives when they come home from touring. Right, right. You're a rural dude. There's no example. There's no one to imitate for like, what is the path to chasing the dream? Right. I know what that path is now, but you don't know it when you're a rural guy. Right. 18 years old. So I feel like the when, when I think about hanging out with, with uh, you and, and the various squads of musicians that we worked with uh, in, the, in the rural Midwest was 
just like the ultimate depiction of what it's like to be a, a handful of young, naive idealists who want to imitate their heroes and have no idea what they're doing. And, and there's a there's a beauty in that and in the way that over time that morphs into exploring the quiet, slow work of making years or decades of art for local sure. audiences. Sure, sure. Well, that's all. That's golden. You're absolutely right. What that I, hit, hits it right on the head. I, I had wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you want to discuss this or if it demystifies any of this to... No, uh, no, fine. ...for me to crack it open. This but, is all pre-editing, so go for right. it. Right. So you have that freedom. What? Why are you doing this? What is, what is this project to you? Hmm. Why am I doing this? I think two reasons. One is, uh, hang on, I'm going to write, I'm going to write three abstract nouns and I hate justifying things by lists of abstract nouns, by the way. Uh, but well, it's a, tra a trap I, I fall into. I am putting you on the spot. No, 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 no. It's, it's that, good. That, uh, you can see, you can see how if, um, if you answer this and you like the way it sounds, you put it out there. But yeah. if, if it deconstructs it too much and you want everybody to just see it for what it is and yeah. make their own call about that, you leave it out. But I wanted to ask or give you the I, chance to have I, somebody ask you. Yeah. Um, um, okay. So two things. Uh, and then a third that is related. Um the first is uh, community and, uh, and identity. Um, I think I was telling you a little bit in my driveway the other week about how, you know, I was talking about musicians as birds and there's different kinds of birds and some birds are loud and some birds go with lots of other birds and some birds are solitary, but all birds sing and they make some kind of a call. You know, I was born this way as a, singer um i come by it naturally my grandfather used to walk around the house making up songs my dad would walk around and making up songs and parody versions of pop hits about dinner and pancakes and so it it's just something i've always done and i don't feel right when i'm not doing it and i've discovered people who both a appreciate it and um are doing the same thing and want to be encouraged uh, by seeing someone do it. So um, it's just something that the people of quote unquote, my tribe do the, the tribe of songwriter, song appreciator, tribe, bird people. So that that's the first abstract noun <laughs> in the in the why it's just I can't not. And the second is um, I've always Before had a mission. Well, I go need ahead. to tell you about this is for for later but what you just remind what you just said reminded me of this uh chris christopherson song i think it's called to beat the devil oh and you should check it out later i'm gonna write that down because that has to do a little bit with my second point if i'm a if i'm making the right connection and i may not. yeah let's go there uh second is um mission um i'm not talking about you know billy graham billy sunday you know billy bob thornton all the billies i'm <laughs> i'm talking about bringing uh reclaiming um this maybe sounds a little of my generation 
kind of the indie folk generation, but uh, kind of reclaim craftsmanship and handmade beauty and um, non-corporate, non-commercial permission to enjoy and make beauty. And I think that kind of goes against the powers that be uh, in terms of, um, you know, consumerism. And I don't want to get into like debates about what's the appropriate economic model for humanity and virtue and all that stuff. But I'm talking about, uh, you know, I think there's so much uh, beauty and wonder and laughter and embarrassment and giggles and surprises that await when we decide to do things, we people like, like singing together or banging on things that make sounds together. Even if it's something as simple as like what you do and you set up on in your neighborhood with your accordion and, and an amp. I, I think that uh, that, you know, like you said, beats down the devil. It beats down the thing that says, shut up, be quiet, buy my thing, uh, you know, strive for perfection in everybody else's eyes. You're a, you're a slave to every impulse except your own. I'm rambling now. That's, I've that's had a- moments in the last couple of years where I, I have noticed that I have pretty intense admiration for people who say, I'm going to make something mm. or I'm going to try to do something and then they go do it. Yeah. Because I think about all the times where I said that I should make a thing or that I sh- said that <laughs> we, some collective, we should do a thing together and uh, and we never did the thing. Right. And I've also noticed that the few times that I've stepped out and done a thing, um, people are really appreciative and sort of inspired by uh, by by the by your following through with mm. having done anything at all. Because sure. it, it's so much easier not to do a thing. And it's so much better to do things if you can get yourself up uh, up enough motivation to. Yeah, um, step out there and do it. You'll you'll ne- you'll never be sorry, right? That you made something. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's good for the soul. It's good for the people around you, and it's good for the world at large. And so, I guess that kind of that's that. That was my second point. And the third point is uh, practical. Um, I get a little bit of money when I play shows, and that mm-hmm. money goes back into my household income. I have four children. Um, I have expenses and bills. That's that thing you're talking about. Rock stars walking around with their mundane lives. You know? Yeah. Uh, I have, uh, you know, private school tuition for two of the four kids and, uh, you know, you know, I want to see them grow and succeed. And, um, it, the, the podcast thing helps more people discover the songs. Uh, people have the opportunity to support me through Bandcamp or Patreon or book me to play their back patio or it all it all adds up. So yeah, it stay- all works together. There's a thing that happens where um, I, I'm not I don't get excited about social media. It feels kind of gross to me. I feel oh, bad. Yes, I, it makes I me feel it makes me feel bad about everything all the time. But it's the way people are experiencing the world. Sure. And um, if you want to provide uh, if you want to provide anything to anyone at any time in this year 2022 
you you need to find a couple of different ways to interact with them, sure, uh, so that they know about it and that they can that they can find that value. And uh, I'm all about even if you're not a big social media guy, or even if you're not trying to go big at anything, right. um, at least at least tell the people you want to serve what you're doing. Let them find it. Sure, sure, right. A couple things about that, you know, um, tools are never meant to be masters, you know, and I, I and human, humans since the beginning of time in the mystery of our creation have always had a problem with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm thinking of as long as I'm getting sort of pious in my father Tom mode the you know, the, the story of the prophet, you know, um, uh, Jonah. You know, God says, go to, go to Nineveh, you know, this, this evil, evil place where everybody does everything wrong and, uh, give him my message. And he's like, that's scary. I'm not going there. And, um, to me, sometimes that's the way the social media climate of the world today and of kids who are younger than us feel like to me, it's like, that's, it always makes me feel crummy. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. It's evil. Let them all rot in hell. I'm not, I'm not going there. Oh, that's, uh, that's what I do. That's my, that's my, so it, that's know, my doing first something and last like, response to the whole thing. So I, I'm, I'm dipping my toes a little deeper into that Nineveh with, with this and a couple other things in the last two or three years, uh, and saying, okay, if you made me this way and this is where it's happening, I've got to go there and I've got to obedient and do it um that's fair that's uh you got to find a way to do it and right. still be you mm-hmm. yeah and that one sentence you just said may have summed up you know eight minutes of mm. free, free association well, conversation uh you you get to edit it down and decide what's what's the what's the magic but uh yeah uh, but, but, but i down too much yeah, as long as there isn't anything else burning on your mind at the this exact moment, I'm curious uh, your thoughts and feelings when you when you clicked play on that MP3 file. What went through your mind? What what did you hear? I I heard how far the first thing I heard was how far we've both come musically sure. since that moment. Right. Uh, I heard. Uh, you know, from the mechanical perspective, from the music theory perspective, I was thinking about, uh, you know, I had been really into Dave Matthews and Ben Folds and yeah. Fish and mm-hmm. Vince Guaraldi, who was the jazz pianist who wrote the music for the Peanuts specials. Right. Um, and, you know, I think at that moment, what I wanted to do musically was figure out what I had learned from listening to all of those types of music and see if I could, if I could bring some of, some of those things into something new in a way where you couldn't tell where they came from. Right. That makes sense. It does. Like when you first start making music, you pretty much just, you pretty much just borrow, but you hope that soon you can, you could take all of that musical vocabulary and say something new where it's not totally obvious where, where who you're, who you're, uh, who you're mimicking there. So, sure. um, I learned later that if your music is instrumental heavy and you have a lot of math, 
uh, at play in it and it's super self-indulgent. That's called progressive. Right. And, <laughs> and I, and I guess uh, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's what I was into most at the time. And then sure. over the next 10 or 12 years, while I played around with things I didn't know about, like, uh, singing while you play and songwriting mm. and things of that nature. Right. Um, I became somebody who, uh, I think every every musician goes on this journey mm -hmm. where when you're 20, you want to show everybody what you can do nonstop. Right. And when you're 30, uh, you want to you want to give people's ears a rest <laughs> and, and 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 exactly right size the amount of notes you're playing and the volume that you're putting out. Sure. And then every once in a while, maybe once a night. You remind them what you can do. Right. Right. But because you didn't, because you didn't, um, you didn't steamroll them nonstop. Uh, <laughs> you kept it special. Yeah. Time for me to ask. Yeah. A question I never. Go ahead. Asked before. Where did you get the dang idea for the words to this song? The worst of it? The words. Where'd oh, you the get words. The, where'd you get the idea for the words to, uh to the chimpanzees okay this goes back to um this goes back to your uh comment about drawing heavily on your influences and so um when i hear that intro but i'm boom boom but i'm boom boom it makes me think of you personally like sean stone cypher the man and um, at that time in your life, you were starting to get really serious with Val. And I just pictured the two of you and your, and your young love. Uh, so I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of your relationship with Val. Um, it was in the beginning of the school year when we started writing this song. So it's sunny and hot. <laughs> and then lastly... Uh, I remember that you had always had a love for 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 monkeys and chimpanzees and other simians and primates. And so uh, the chimpanzee line came from some subconscious other free association, Holy Spirit kind of thing. Uh, because when I think of chimpanzees, I think of little fun loving creatures who are running around and jumping and climbing things. But the characters in the song are just completely comfortable and they're just laid and back like, and um, that was my impression when I thought of you and Val was just two people who were enormously comfortable with one another. And mm -hmm. I hope that's still the case. I mean, you guys have been married for 20 years now, but it is. we're more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But that was something that I were, was, I, I marveled at because my relationship with Elizabeth was always very tempestuous. We were always fighting and uh, getting unhappy with each other and accordioning and, and back and forth, even though maybe people on the outside didn't know that. But I just sort of marveled at uh, your guys's comfort with you. And I was at a, the way I wrote songs back then was like total Rorschach, you know, uh, here's an impression. Okay, now choose tons and tons of words that, that fit this impression. Uh, it was very impressionistic, and um, 
drawing things out of the hat and trying to be cryptic. Um, so that's, that's, that's where the words came from. And, and, uh, that's part of why I wanted to, you know, use this song as, as your episode, because it, it's to me, like I said, it reminds me so much of you and it draws so heavily on your, your influences. And, um, the thing about, so it's, being at the top of the trees and the cellular phone waves fly and the TV waves and, and, and all of that. Um, the beauty of that free association type of songwriting is you can really just place yourself in a mental picture and immerse yourself in the, in the world and start letting it populate itself with, with images and objects. And then you say, okay, now I see a tree and uh, now I'm at the top of the tree and what's up here? Well, I'm in the sky and this is where the things are. This is where the waves are vibrating. And even back then I knew one human being who owned a cell phone, Peter Coleslaw. <laughs> so, but it was starting to become a thing, you know, but um, that's how I did it. Uh, it's a long answer. I was just, um, just verbally describing impressions of things in my immediate surroundings, which would be you and, and Val and sort of the young love and um, the time of the year. And uh, it's a beautiful time of year and it's a beautiful time of life and it's a rich time. And I just wanted to soak in the, the beauty of it. And that's, that's all there is to it. I thought it, I thought it really worked. I, still think it works thanks man <laughs> i've really enjoyed this this time together so thank yeah, you super for, good for for being willing to to do this and to uh open up that that old file and uh, give it a spin and asking some some pointed questions i really thank you for that that's something i want from this project i want to be interviewed as much as i interview the interviewee that's what I thought about listening to the first season. I was like, who's going to, who's going to get this guy to talk? <laughs> Thank uh, you. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Knowing that that may or may not be in line with where you're headed, but I, I think it's good. It's, it, it was uh, part of my aspirations uh, in the initial dream of the project. And some people are better than that than others. And it's certainly a gift that you have. Well, folks, great. we'll, um, we'll, we'll catch up uh, sometime. We will. And uh, off, off camera. Absolutely. And I want to invite you to help make a song and a friend podcast a reality with your financial support. Leave us a one-time tip through Venmo or make an ongoing pledge through Patreon. You can find links to the show notes or through my website, tomadamsonmusic.com. Hello? Yes. Okay, I'll tell him. My 90s phone just rang, and it says, without further ado, we need to play the song Chimpanzees. Please enjoy.
climbing trees, lifting you up, holding you high, higher up to the top of the trees where the birds fly and the air sits and the cellular phone waves fly. That's where my spirit was that day. Since I learned from you, may I be an ugly old man before I'm old. Hey, do you know? Hey, do you know what I'm thinking? It's silly. I wanna climb the tree, lifting you up, holding you high like children, crazy. Chimpanzees is what we are. Up to the top of the trees where the cellular phone waves fly, and the TV waves. Up to the top of the trees where the air sits and the clouds roll, and the winds decide if they're gonna rain or they're gonna be dry. But I. Chimpanzees is what we are. Hey, 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 and never say goodbye. Thank you, Sean, for being a great guest today. You can check out Sean's accordion videos called Great Honk on YouTube. Find a link in the show notes page. Thank you to Todd Bashong for providing production assistance. See you next time.